Hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking with David Llewellyn on startup R&D positions. Uh, as always, if you'd like to get access to the full interview and get insights that you can't get here, go to CheekyScientist.com backslash association uh, and sign up on that page. You'll also learn how to get access to our complete job search blueprint for PhDs, as well as our private job uh, referral network for PhDs. If you'd like to have these podcasts delivered to your email inbox, as well as our free articles, just go to CheekyScientist.com, our homepage, and sign up with your name and email address at the bottom of that page. You can also listen to our other podcasts on iTunes um, at any time. So once again, we'll be talking with David Llewellyn today on startup R&D positions. So we'll jump in and get started now. So thank you very much for being with us today, David. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, this, there was just a, like I mentioned, a, a very big need or desire to learn more about working in startups, especially within R&D. Uh, most of the people listening have PhDs or are on their way to get PhDs, and uh, many of them are, you know, have a have a, at least a STEM slant. Uh, so, so it's good to have you on here. And, and I guess the, the best place to start is, uh, maybe you can kind of help us understand, you know, what it's like to work in a startup. Maybe give us a little bit of the background of your story, how you transitioned into a startup versus, you know, going straight to Johnson Johnson or working, you know, in corporate. Um, what? Why'd you make that decision? Why you transitioned out of academia? Maybe you can just give us a little bit of your your background. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, probably like many of the people listening here today. I'd started through academia and for me at least had really always assumed that was what I'd do. I really liked science and I really liked asking interesting questions. I also liked being in the lab um, and or in the field. Um, and so I was really passionate about doing that and thought, you know, academia was probably the way to do that and had certainly had, had a good time doing that as well. I guess then through the PhD, I sort of th started thinking about other options. Um, not that I didn't didn't want to go into academia. In fact, in one day maybe I'll I'll go back in that direction. But just started thinking about other things, other opportunities. Um, and certainly one of those that that popped up was the idea of doing some research in a in a company rather than at a university or a, a government research organization. And so. Uh, you know, the first, the first big question that, or the, the question that I had for myself was, oh, I don't know if I could really do that. I don't know if I've got an idea which is, is good enough to go out on our own and, and try that. But really just with a, the other guy, Joe, who I co-founded DJS Antibodies with, we just sat around in the lab at the pub, you know, on the weekend, chatting about science, chatting about ideas. And it was through that that we, we really formed this idea that, hey, we could, we could, start a company we could use the skills that we'd attained and go and do that and so so from there you know from very humble beginnings of just a, an idea um djs grew and and continues to grow and so to, i mean to your question of what does a, a day look like for me at the moment um still djs is is two of us so joe and myself but we do a whole range of different things. So a day could look like anything from starting in the lab, you know, doing cell culture, uh, 
immunizing mice, working with antibodies, right through to meetings with investors, going to big international uh, industry conferences, talking with some of the world's largest pharma firms about their um, programs, pitching our ideas, seeing if we can get people interested, uh, right through to reading legal documents and, and doing accounting, which I know absolutely nothing about. So, so a little bit of everything. Great. No, I appreciate that because I think, you know, what, what your, your story or your path shows or should show for everybody listening is that, you know, it's, it's possible for you. You, you can be about to get your PhD or a postdoc and um, you can go into this alternative career path of, of getting into the startup world. And really the startup world is an industry in itself, just like any other industry or any other type of field that you want to get into. You just start going to the conferences and meeting the people in the field. and um, this is how you transition into it. You you leverage your same transferable skills and a lot of things we'll talk about today and so on. So I think this absolutely. And just maybe to, to add to that, I think I certainly remember as an outsider looking into the, the startup world and thinking, you know, all these people are people who have wanted to start a startup their whole lives or have, have you know, know everything about it, have all these ideas. And the reality is that's not the case. You know, everyone's sort of just trying out new things. Um, throwing together some good ideas, some bad ideas, giving them a go. So I know I was certainly slightly intimidated when I was starting from the outside, mm. but, but there are so many people willing to sort of lend a helping hand. And you do realize at the end of the day, you know, your abilities, your ideas are as good as the next person's. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially in today's culture with, you know, Shark Tank and entrepreneurship kind of being this uh, glamorous thing, it's very easy to look at it and be like, wow, I could never do that. These people are, you know, doing something really special when, um, in fact, all of you have the training you need to, to get in, you know, uh, get into a startup and be very successful. You certainly have the drive and, and you certainly are used to overcoming challenges. Um, before I get to my next question, uh, just a, a little bit of inside information that I'll, I'll share with you guys who are here, that the Cheeky Scientist, when it very, very first came out a long, long time ago, it was actually aimed at helping PhDs get into uh, startup-type positions. Um, but what we found over time is that most PhDs want to get into corporate positions, uh, certainly first. And, you know, uh, we're, a lot of PhDs are very wired to, you know, go after the biggest company and work for the biggest name, you know, whether it's Pfizer, Engine, whatever else. Uh, so I, I bring that up for this next question, which which I, I think will help those listening determine whether or not, you know, a startup versus uh, working for a company, uh, or especially, especially a larger company, might be the right step for them. Um, maybe you can help us understand what are some of the challenges that you face, you know, especially on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, David, in, in a startup, versus the challenges you know some of these people you might know obviously if you're involved in in certain incubators or whatever else uh, johnson johnson the, the challenges that these uh corporations face what, what are some of the differences in terms of challenges yeah i think that they're really two very different worlds i mean probably the the easiest and the most important right at the start is, is risk if you take on a, a job in a, a big corporation you maybe have some level of security and that's uh you know, a standard job, you're going to get a salary, there's going to be a, a research program. Uh, in a startup, you know, at times we're sort of living day to day, you know, will we get that next grant? Will we get an investment? Will we have enough money to do the experiments, let alone pay ourselves a, a salary? 
Sounds, uh, and, sounds slightly like academia. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think that's I mean that's a really good point. There is this sort of false idea that academia is this super safe uh, or safer than a startup as far as career, and especially in the current climate, I'm not sure that that's yeah. true. But um, yeah, so that, you know that's certainly one thing, and and similarly, you know, in a in a big corporation, maybe if your research project fails the corporation goes on and there may be other projects for you you work on. Uh, for us and in many startups, you're very focused on a single project or a single sort of line of investigation. And if for whatever reason, whether that be logistical or scientific, it fails, often that might cause the company to fold. And then, you know, maybe with relatively short notice, you could find yourself out of a job. So I think, you know, that that's a big thing and one to consider. I think, and, and, you know, if you're risk averse, maybe in a negative. On the flip side, I mean, one of the fantastic things about working in a startup is really getting exposure to a huge number of things. Like I mentioned before, that involves doing the science, thinking about the ideas, pitching to investors, doing legal things. So you really get a very broad broad picture of things which you may not get in a larger company um, and similarly you really get to set the agenda so you're the person that's deciding you know what I think this is the most important question for us to ask at the moment how do we answer that and again that might be different to a big corporation where you have a very sort of defined question or research project which is handed down from your superiors and and that's your job Hmm. Yeah, and I, so uh, just a lot of great insights there. And for those of you listening, I mean, if you're especially if you've come to this live, you're, you're definitely considering what it might be like to work uh, work in a startup company. Um, I think that this idea that there's more risk or whatever else, it is kind of uh, it's it's a little bit false. It's kind of a myth. Uh, like like David said, you know, academia there's a lot of risk. I mean, many. As you may you know, a lot of the associates have uh, been asked to work for free, right? Or you run out of funding and you're in the middle of a postdoc, you have to go to another postdoc. Lots of risk, um, even less funding, way less funding in academia than I would say for uh, any field in terms of startups. And, and not only that, but even at companies, so, you know, you might think, okay, you can really be let go of pretty quickly at a startup or things change very fast. But at larger companies, uh, you know, you're working for certain departments, they can let you go very, very quickly too, right? It's a, the bottom if the bottom line isn't matching up to, to what they need, um, they, they can't let you go. Uh, so so it, really, it really is about the same. And, and the walls between working for a large company versus working for startups, even, even versus working for academia, those walls are kind of going away. So there is a lot more crossover. Um, and so yeah, and I think... Maybe one thing to, to add to that is there is certainly this... You know, idea that if you go into a big corporation or even within um, universities, there's this great structure of other people around you and, and mentors and things like that that have experience. You know, you're employed by someone who's superior to you and, and has a lot more experience so you can learn from them. The one thing I'd say, at least from my experience, you know, that was something I was potentially a little bit apprehensive about going into the startup mm. I've found so many of those people, whether they be from big corporations or, you know, uh, past entrepreneurs themselves, are so willing to give time and, and you know, their expertise to us as sort of young people having a go at, at building this company. So 
actually, I think the access we've had to mentors in pharma, venture capital, uh, in academics, all of these sort of things has, has surpassed probably what we would have had anywhere else. No, that's, that's, that's good to know. Yeah, and I, I mean, especially if you're in a startup and, uh, you know, surrounded by other startups and clusters, good mentors, uh, you know, you, you can um, get, a lot of, get a lot of help, more, more mentorship than you might even get currently in academia or in a large company, like you said. Um, so I, so I want to I narrow in a little bit on R&D and maybe talk about differences between, um, you know, from your experience or what you've seen, differences between working in R&D at a large company versus working in R&D at a, a startup, such as, such as your own startup or other startups you've seen. Yeah, certainly. I think the major thing for me is, especially, I saw this, I guess, especially in academia, was you do have a, a certain amount of freedom to go and ask interesting questions and questions that surround your topic. So you might be doing a line of experiments or, or testing. Something comes up that looks looks interesting, and you have a reasonable amount of freedom to sort of go and chase that and, and figure out, you know, whether that's worth pursuing. I'd say for us and the projects we've been running, we have a, especially at the moment because we're small, we have a very tight budget and a very strict budget, and that's very much to answer a, a question which takes us along the path to gaining the, the commercial assets that, that we're looking to, to build. And so quite often, you know, little things happen, we're not quite sure why, and maybe they would be really interesting to, to go and investigate further. But we really spend, both Joe and I, quite a lot of time, you know, checking each other and keeping ourselves on track. And I think, you know, that can be as a, as a sort of natural, intuitive and inquisitive scientist, that can sometimes be frustrating. But the flip side is you're, you're very focused on, on doing the work that you need to do to get the answer you started out um, asking. So I think, you know, that, that's a difference that I've certainly noticed. No, that's good. So, yeah, and, and that makes sense. Um, some of the uh, some of the people on here had a, had a question in terms of you know the the day to day. So if we could do the compare and contrast one more time, um, what is what is like your day look like in terms of, or I should say, at your startup or the startups you work on, you've seen where they they run efficiently. What do the days look like? I mean, what uh, how, are there a lot of meetings compared to larger companies? Fewer meetings, different types of meetings. Um, Maybe you can talk I, I, a little bit about some of those differences. Yeah, certainly. I, I think, I mean, from my experience, and I'm very happy to hear others who have had different experiences, but from mine, um, definitely a lot, a lot of meetings, but very eclectic mixes. So, so as mentioned, you know, most days will start with going into the lab and, and starting an experiment or, or doing some, some actual wet work in the lab. Um, but then in between, you know, we might be, incubating some step and you'll run up and you'll have a half hour call with the lawyers who are who are working on a an investment or a collaboration agreement and then you know back into the lab and then run back out for a call with you know a mentor from a, a pharma company who's talking to us about you know what are the what are the newest sort of drug targets which might be interesting for us to investigate and, and look at further. Uh, and then even beyond that you know, then in the afternoon, often darting across to a, 
another lab or another group or even another city to to speak to people about what they're doing, how what they do might interact with with the work we're doing, the research we're doing. Mm. Certainly for us, we're doing early stage drug discovery and and different technologies and, and even other very small startups have new innovative technologies that can work together with us. And often it's a the combination of those things, which which could be really exciting. No, that's great. No, that's, those are great insights. And um, you talked a little bit about sometimes the budget being tight and, and uh, you know setting up collaboration. So I want to delve into both of those, uh, starting with the funding. So maybe you could, uh, you know, assuming you know, let's say there's some some PhDs on, and very likely that have no idea how startups work, how they get funding. Maybe you can talk about how you, you know, you, most startups get funding, what different types of funding are available and how this affects the, the you know, the day-to-day of working at a startup. Absolutely. So maybe just as a bit of context, how we did and what we did, we really got very lucky. We entered a competition called the One Start Competition, which maybe very many of you have heard of. It's a life science business plan competition, which is run now around the world. Um, and ultimately the prize of that the, the winner in Europe gets 100,000 uh, British pounds and in the U.S. gets 150,000 U.S. dollars. So really the, the reason almost for starting the company was in response to that competition. We thought, oh, you know, if we could win that money, that would be a huge boost and we'd be able to, to do all this work that we've sort of been thinking about. So, so we entered that competition in the U.K., so the European arm of it. Uh, and made it through to the the final, which was the top 10. And then another team won. And so we didn't get any prize money from that, which was, yeah, uh, you know, in some respects, you know, that was a, was devastating, but, but that's actually not really the case. It was such a fantastic experience for meeting other startups, meeting mentors. Um, so, so we actually gained a huge mm-hmm. amount and most so importantly, the network you gained was worth it. A- absolutely, and and I'd say you know the first the first step really for anyone looking to to start something is is slowly building that network. Mm-hmm. But and from that we we got really lucky, and Johnson and Johnson Innovation approached us, and they were starting a incubation scheme that had a little bit of uh, investment associated with it, and so from that we got a. a investment from Johnson and Johnson Innovation to start uh, and try out our idea. And so at that stage, we were really just an idea. We were two guys who had come together, you know, shooting from the hip a bit um, with a bit bit of hot air, but but an idea and a, a justification of why it should work. So that, So we, you know, got lucky in that respect. That, you know, that certainly... I'm the first to admit that was luck, and so that can't happen to for everyone. And so maybe just some some words on the other kind of funding that are out there that, that we've looked at as well, uh, often failing to get. But um, certainly number number one is grant funding. So just like in academia, there are grants available for small companies. Um, they may be country specific or, or much more broad, and they're you know they're really the ultimate because they're free money. You you get the grant and then you spend it on the research project and program. Um, beyond that, it's it's more looking at at the investment type. Uh, 
side of things. Obviously, you know, before investment, there are things like loans that you can take. Um, loans obviously get risky, especially for, you know, for us in biotech where the failure rate of companies is extremely high. There are very few banks out there willing to give biotech companies loans. Um, but what, what there are, uh, mm. you know, investment firms, especially early stage investment firms that will do things like give convertible notes. So they'll give a, a sort of a loan which changes into equity or a percentage of the company. Um, if the company continues and succeeds, uh, options, which is effectively giving you some money so that in a later stage, when you're raising money a second time, for example, they have the option to to invest at that stage. Um, and then right through to a, a proper investment where they say, look, I want to buy 30% of your company and I'll give you X dollars, however many, uh, for that. And so really, really all, all of those options, and we, we've explored a lot of them. We, um, we've had uh, grant funding in the past, which we've been very grateful to get, and we're just at the moment closing a, uh, equity funding round, so where a, a venture capital firm is buying a percentage of the company for, for an investment. Oh, wow. Okay. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. So, so I'm curious about these collaborations. Um, first with Johnson & Johnson, what, what does that look like to somebody who has no idea? I mean, how do you answer to them? Is, you know, what, is the, what is their role? What is your role? And, and then we can move on to the, the venture capital. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Johnson Johnson really has a fantastic scheme which they've been setting up over the last few years to foster early stage new innovative ideas. And the key reason for this is major pharma companies are starting to see that a huge amount of the new discoveries and innovation are actually not coming from the bowels of these huge corporations, but are coming from small, fast moving, innovative startups. And so J&J is trying to, to get on that and they're forming these innovation centers. So our relationship, obviously, in the first instance, um, we got uh, some money, which was fantastic. But beyond that, and the most important thing I really think that we've got from them is access to speaking to their R&D people. So we, we have a contact in the innovation center who's our sort of mentor. So we have meetings with them um, every couple of weeks, but then, and that's very much in a mentoring capacity. So, you know, hey guys, how can I help you this week? Um, but importantly, that often involves us saying, look, we're thinking about um, doing a discovery program against this cancer target. Could we talk to one of your oncologists who work in, for example, bowel cancer? Mm-hmm. And they go, yep, and set up a call. And then we talk to them about, you know, the ideas we're having, how we're thinking about developing the product, you know, are there any sort of unforeseen issues in that space that we as not particularly experienced people just haven't even thought of? And so so that's really been fantastic. So it's it's really been a, going back to this network and mentoring idea, it's really been beneficial to, to build us in, in that respect. Great. Um, got a couple of questions come in. We'll get to those in a minute. Uh, so I guess that sheds some lights, uh, light on what this kind of mentoring between a, you know, a, a Johnson Johnson larger company and, and the startup looks like. Um, so you, you did mention that you had some, um, 
venture capitalists uh, come into the equation? Maybe you can talk about how they, uh, did they approach you? Did you approach them? How, how did it work? And what, you know, what do they get? What do you get? Uh, maybe you can discuss um, and ha help demystify that relationship a little bit, uh, assuming, you know, the people listening have, have never set up um, such a deal. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one of the things that everyone always said to us, and I guess I partly was skeptical of, is oh, raising money take will take a really long time. And I guess I was under no illusion that it would be easy or anything like that. But everyone's sort of saying, oh, you know, it'll take nine to 12 months from the time you start a conversation with someone to having money in the bank. Um and I sort of was scratching my head thinking, how could it possibly take that long? You know, how much is there to do? Um, but if we look back now at our last nine to 12 months, that's exactly what has happened. So mm. almost a year ago, we had our first sort of meeting with this investor. We had been put in touch with them by someone that we'd met at a, a networking event. So someone we'd been talking to about, you know, our ideas, they said, oh, you should speak to this, this venture capital firm. Um, they're looking for companies like yours. So, um, in the very first instance, it was just a, you know, a meeting over a coffee where we had a, a quick discussion about what we did. And then through that process over the last maybe nine ish months, it's, it's gone through the, the whole process from, doing a formal presentation to a single the sort of life science lead in that firm um, through to doing a, a, a larger presentation in front of a number of, of people. We then discuss in detail the details of the project and what we're going to, we're planning to do, how much money we need to do that. Uh, and that was a bit of a to and fro. So, you know, they came up with some ideas, we came up with some ideas and we developed that. And then ultimately, you know, throughout that process, the the sort of our key point there became comfortable, became convinced that what they liked what we were doing and it was worth them taking further. They then present a whole case about the company, the plan, the investment, how much money to their company, so to the venture capital firm to get approval. That, that large firm has, has then approved the investment. And so now we're in the process of going through all the sort of legal nitty gritty. So, and that comes to the second part of your question, you know, what exactly they get and what we get. So the, the first, the first question, and this was partly answered before was how much money we need. And then the real negotiation there was about Okay, so what percentage of the company do they get for that amount of money? Um, and this is, everyone says, for a, an early stage startup, you know, that question's a bit like how long is a piece of string? It, it really depends. Um, and so, you know, for, for companies at our stage, we'd been going about 12 to 18 months already. We had some data in, in the bag. You know, valuations for companies like that sort of, I guess, are between 500,000 US dollars and, you know, probably 2 million US dollars, the upper end. Um, and that, so that's a, you know, a very early stage company, but with, with some data behind it. Um, 
And so that, and now we're sort of in the final legal stages, which is issues like, you know, who's going to be on the board? Um, what are the, what are the voting rights? So if a, you know, an issue comes up, who gets to vote on what and who gets to veto what and sort of all these little technicalities, which to be honest, I'd never thought about or considered. But when you right. think about it, you know, they are, they're the things that have the potential to change the way your company goes. So they are actually pretty important. Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Um, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.